Tonight we look at the second half of Hebrews chapter 11, beginning to read at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn wouldn't touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the wards of Jericho fell, after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, wasn't killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I don't have the time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. There are lots of Christians for whom the Old Testament is a closed book. Can't get on with the Old Testament. 
to understand it, it's too difficult, too much violence and bloodshed there, I'm much more comfortable with the new. Lots of people have said that to me over the years. You can't quite get away from the Old Testament though, because it does keep, up pop, keep on popping up in the new. It's there in Hebrews chapter 11, that kind of romp through the Old Testament, 39 books covered in 38 verses, with some stuff from the New Testament and the period in between the Old Testament and the Old New Testament thrown in, together with some Jewish legends as well. So if you want to kind of bluff your way about the Old Testament, then Hebrews 11 is a good place to begin. It's not a bad summary, actually. For the writer of the Hebrews, it's all about faith from beginning to end. That's how you summarise the 39 books of the Old Testament. The word faith comes 24 times in this chapter, which is only half a dozen short of the number of times it appears in the Old Testament. That might make us stop and think. In claiming that the Old Testament is about faith from beginning to end, is Hebrews being true to it, or is the writer imposing his own faith agenda on the Jewish scriptures? Well, when you work with the definition of faith given in Hebrews, being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you do not see, you do find a lot of faith in the pages of the Jewish Testament. Abraham stands out as a shining example of that, both in his willingness to leave home for the land God promised to give him, and also in his readiness to sacrifice everything God had promised, even his one and only son, when God told him to do so. Hebrews makes sense of that by saying that Abraham believed that God could raise him from the dead, even if, even it, had, even if it had come to the point of slaying his son. So Abraham rightly earns pride of place with 12 out of those 38 verses in Hebrews 11 being dedicated to him. Moses comes next with five verses. Some people suspect that Hebrews might be being overgenerous. In verse 27 it says, Moses left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. Well, if you know the, the story of Moses, you, you might pause at that point a little bit. Because some people say, well, you know, if, if Hebrews is following the chronological order, then that can't refer to Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt, because the next verse talks about Moses celebrating the Passover, which happened before they left Egypt. So it can't be about Moses leading the people out. Perhaps it's about Moses going out of Egypt himself then, but the trouble is Exodus said he, he ran away because he was terrified of the king, because he'd killed this Egyptian worker, and when news got to the king, Moses was afraid of his life. It may be that the writer to the Hebrews is relying on other accounts of Moses' life at this point, because other Jewish writers kind of airbrushed out Moses' fear, and so you can talk about Moses being a man of faith to begin, from beginning to end. So there are questions that remain, and while the list is not perhaps without its problems, and that might cause difficulties for us as we wrestle with the accuracy of the Bible and how that relates to our faith, nevertheless, there is no denying that the writer does a pretty good job of summarising the entire Old Testament under the rubric of faith, even if he is a bit generous to Moses. You can say it is about faith from beginning to end. So Abraham gets the top spot, Moses comes a, a pretty good second, uh, and then the, it speeds up uh, from 33 to 45 to 78 RPM. Those of you old enough to remember that. Because in the book of Joshua, he fast-forwards merely citing the judges, Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah by name, and then speeding up even more as he mentions David, Samuel and the prophets. And the miracles simply whiz by. Faith, conquering kingdoms, stopping the mouths of lions, quenching flames, escaping the sword, routing foreign armies, raising the dead. I was tempted to have a quiz tonight and say, who does this apply to? 
in the Old Testament. All those amazing faith-building stories that we read. And yet, who is it shows the greater faith? Was it those whose faith resulted in miracles, the defeat of foreign armies, miraculous deliverance from difficult circumstances? Or was it those who continued to believe in the absence of miraculous deliverance? Hebrews talks of the the, the fiery furnace and the flames being quenched. But remember what the men said before they went in. Our God is able to deliver us out of this fire, O King. But even if not, nevertheless know that we will not bow down and worship your God. And there's a debate about the translation there, whether it means even if he doesn't, or even if he couldn't, we are still not prepared to give in. It was deliverance for them, but it wasn't deliverance for everybody. It wasn't deliverance for the the people who were tortured to death because they refused to eat pork, which some people think is the period for which that story was written, about being faithful to God, even to the point of death, in in the second century BC. So what about those who were tortured, subjected to abuse, flogged, put in chains or in prison? What about those who lost their lives by being stoned to death, sawed in two, as legend has it, was what happened to the prophet Jeremiah, or beheaded by the sword? Or what about those who kept their lives but lost their livelihood and eked out an existence in the desert and mountains, sheltering in caves and holes in the ground, suffering destitution, ill-treatment and persecution? Who has the greater faith? Those who see their prayers answered or those who don't but hold on to the faith anyway? C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, has the fictional devil say, Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him, God, seems to have vanished, asks why he has been forsaken, and still obeys. And that's the point that the writer of the Hebrews is trying to get across. Writing to Jewish Christian believers who are finding their faith too costly. Wondering whether it might be safer just to to leave the church quietly and go back to the synagogue where the pressure was less intense, where the heat was a bit lower. And part of the point he's making is, look, if you look at the, the Jewish Testament, you will see there that people were true to God, suffered for their faith. You can't say, I'm going to kind of soft-pedal the Jesus bit and, and go back to the Old Testament bit and stay true to God that way. If you are true to God, you're going to pay a price somewhere on the line. Even people in the days before Jesus suffered for their faith. There is no refuge in the synagogue. Those within the Jewish tradition, there were many of them who paid the ultimate price for their loyalty to the Lord. Faith is costly. Faith in God should and probably will put us on a collision course with the surrounding culture in which we live. 
and where faith in Christ collides with a culture that can sometimes produce sparks, miracles of healing, deliverance or victory. Sometimes it looks like apparent defeat as people suffer for their faith. But it's a defeat that is only apparent because the ultimate object of our faith lies beyond this world. Rejection by the world leads to the ultimate victory of faith and to our attaining our final glorious destination. That's the message of Revelation. People overcome through death. And you might have noticed the, the twist at the end of the chapter there. Hebrews has run through the entire Old Testament, holding up 15 named individuals and countless others as examples of costly, effective faith. Those who persevered to the end. And the implication, surely, is that it's our privilege to follow in their footsteps and be numbered among them. If we persevere, then we maintain the unbroken thread of faith down to our own day. Yet Hebrews makes the unexpected point that all these were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised to them. That's a sign of the strength and the greatness of their faith, if you like. How come they didn't get what they were trusting for? There was nothing deficient about their faith. No, it says here, they were all commended for their faith and yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better. And every time I read that, I expected to say God had planned something better for them. But it wasn't. God had planned something better for us. God has planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. It is our immense, huge privilege to be ranked with them as people of faith. They don't get what they believed in and trusted for and worked for and suffered for and died for until we get there as well. That's our privilege. That's our challenge. Those whom we admire or those heroes of faith from the past those who fought the fight and finished the race and kept the faith, only get the final outcome of their faith when we join them. God counts us worthy of being in their number. And the rhetorical point Hebrews wants to make here is, how can we think of letting them down? That baton has passed to us. They won't get there without us. So we mustn't drop it. We mustn't waver when they didn't waver themselves. And there is a profound challenge here for us in Horsham in the 21st century. Because what would Hebrews write about us? What would the testimony to our faith be if we were written up in this catalogue of faith? How is it manifested? What is there to write about us as Christians in South East England. We don't really suffer persecution or martyrdom, nor is there a huge number of miraculous acts of God to trumpet about. It's a disturbing thought, isn't it? What would the, the writer to the Hebrews find to say about us? Well, I... 
In our defence, I'd want to say it is, it is fairly hard, actually, to hold on to the faith in what is a corrosive, secular society. It's hard to keep going. It's hard to stay true. It's not easy to belong to a dwindling minority of people who adhere to a faith that is commonly perceived as being archaic, out of touch and irrelevant. It's hard to believe in the truth when the truth is going out of fashion. But in difficult times, our calling is to stay the course. To hold on to the truth without pulling up the drawbridge and retreating into a holy huddle where we no longer engage with the outside world. Truth remains truth, however few people believe in it. In this country at this time, it is our call to be guardians of that truth. More than guardians, advocates of it. The challenge to us is to find ways of practising and expressing and living out our faith openly, generously and graciously. To be light in the sense of being a visible Christian presence in society and to be salt in the sense of working quietly behind the scenes to make a difference in the name of Jesus. Remember, our presence in the world is what saves the world from being God-forsaken. Wherever we go, we speak and act as Christ's representatives. Should we be fretting over the relative paucity of miracles? Other parts of the world, miraculous healings are much more common and better attested than the things that are, are broadcast here. Should we rub our hands together and say, what the church in the UK needs is a real dose of good persecution? I'm not sure either is, is the best response to Hebrews 11. We need to have faith and we need to work that faith out in practice in our own context. Mundanely, that simply means being faithful in prayer. Or that's the bottom line. If miracles happen in response to prayer, that is down to God, not us. Our job is to do the praying. What God does with those prayers is his business. And if miracles don't happen because we're not praying, then that is an indictment of the church. We are called to recognise that our faith may well cost us in some way at some point. Actually, if you're serious about supporting God's work financially, I hope it is. But in terms of the choices and decisions we make, there will be times when our faith will make a difference in the sense that the outcome will not always be to our own advantage. We're not looking for the main chance for ourselves. Our own progress and prosperity or comfort or advancement isn't the agenda we work to. And so working our faith out in practice will make a difference and will cost us in some way, shape or form. And it is in the little, ordinary, everyday decisions that faith is trained and exercised and strengthened so that if a major challenge comes, we won't be found wanting. But we're used to living out our faith in practice and saying yes to God and recognising there's a cost to that. Could we do with more faith? I guess we probably could. Though I am mindful that when the disciples asked Jesus 
nor would increase our faith. He just said, you just need faith the size of a grain of mustard seed. Maybe it's not how much faith you have, but what you do with it and where you put it. It's like a garden tool. You don't lock it away in the shed for safekeeping. You take it out and get the most use out of it in the dirty business of gardening, in the dirty business of living for Christ in the real world. That's where faith is used and exercised and strengthened. And faith, faith isn't about faith. It's not about you and me. Faith is ultimately about God, the object of our faith. Hannah Whittle-Smith, founder of the Women's Christian Movement in the States, said that faith is nothing at all tangible. It is simply believing God. And like sight, it is nothing apart from its object. You might as well shut your eyes and look inside to see whether you have sight as to look inside to discover if you have faith. Faith comes by focusing on the one who is the object of our faith. Not by looking at our hearts or our minds or assessing what we think or how we feel or how much we believe. Faith is about fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The one who gets off the ground, the one who completes it. The way to build faith is not to focus on faith itself, but to focus on the one we put our faith in. It's only as we put Jesus at the centre of our lives that our faith will ever begin to make a difference. It's not about how strong we are. It's about how much we are prepared to trust him. That's the key to faith. Let's pray. Lord, we admit it's not easy being people of faith. The intellectual questions we have, the sense of being marginalised, query about whether the church actually achieves anything worthwhile sometimes. But Lord, who else can we go to? You have the words of eternal life. So help us to fix our eyes on you. Lord, would you safeguard what faith we have? And show us how to use it, to live it out in practice. And Lord, whatever ends up being written about us in that sentence dedicated to us in the story of your church, 
May we be people who keep the faith in these days. In Jesus' name. Amen.